You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Still in their own zone. Ekman Larson can't clear. Comes a prepper. Alex Tuck. He scores. I'm the same as the fans and everybody. It's 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 getting frustrating. It's hard to watch. Chance for a two on one. It'll stand in front to Olafson. One timer. He scores. You know tonight's embarrassing. You know for us as a group. The Vancouver Canucks fall to 0-4 and 2 to begin the 2022-2023 regular season. Smithies, are they booing me? Uh, no, they're saying boo earns, boo earns. Good morning, Vancouver, 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. What an intro. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Uh, I will say to you, Jason, good morning. Good morning. And I'll say to you, A-Dog, a.k.a. Andy Cole, good morning. Good morning. And finally to you, Greg Ballack, a.k.a. Laddie. Good morning, Laddie. Hello, hello. <sighs> and then a massive <laughs> sigh. <laughs> Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Can you blame me? Have you seen the weather? Have you watched the hockey? Do you remember how excited we were for this sports run to start? Do you remember I kept on hyping it up? I'm like, guys, we're going to have the best sports run. Laddie and I were just talking about this mm-hmm. before the show. Mm-hmm. I do remember. And I was like, yeah, we got the Canucks starting. And, man, like, think of the stakes for this season. Every game is going to be huge. We got, you know, football. We got the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, like, it's raining. And it's dark. And it's cold. And the Canucks are pretty much out of the playoffs seven games into the season. Awesome. And it's kind of like, you know what? It was better in the summer. <laughs> Is it six games into the season? Uh, <laughs> doesn't even matter. Seventh game Does it tonight. Doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> Seventh game is tonight. Feels well, like they've been playing for six months already. Well, folks, here we are. Okay, let's try and take care of some business first before we move into the gory business at hand. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason's going to tell you more about those fine folks. Jason. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We also have a very good guest lineup on the show today. Uh, 7 o'clock, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join the show. Mike is also our Monday morning quarterback, brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors for you mathletes out there. That's 17 screens. Visit them on the internet at theclaytonpub.com. Tannier, 7 o'clock, 7.30. First-time guest on the program. Actually pretty excited to talk to him, despite the fact he is in the game of hockey, and the game of hockey sucks right now. Uh, Don Waddell is going to join us, the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. The Canes, of course, are going to take on the Canucks tonight. At Rogers Arena. The president and general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. Right, sorry, I should get the title straight. Hello, mm-hmm. Don. President Waddell, as he's known right. in Carolina. Mr. President, how are you doing? Are you genuflecting? Uh, 8 o'clock, iMac is going to join us. Ian McIntyre from Rogers. I got to stop sighing. I got to stop doing this. From Rogers Sportsnet is going to join us to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. 
I, the reason that I'm sighing so much is I've almost run out of adjectives and superlatives and everything else to try and describe this team. It's just it's just bodily sounds now that describes the team. A series of grunts and groans. <laughs> An old man trying to get up out of a chair. That is the equivalent, the hockey equivalent right now. I, I feel like you're just um, you're kind of stalling right now because you don't want to talk about what happened this weekend, but too bad. The we John concert? Into the John concert. The John concert. We got to talk about what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Catastrophe. Disaster. Calamity. Tragedy. Those are all the superlatives that I came up with to describe what's gone on with the Vancouver Canucks thus far. But it really hit a new low, and PC Patty texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 already. He asked the appropriate question. Have we hit rock bottom? Well, if we haven't, I don't want to see what rock bottom looks like. A 5-1 loss to the Buffalo Sabres on Saturday night that featured pretty much everything wrong with the Canucks except for a blown lead. So that was nice, but consider problems on the back end with the blue line check made even tougher by the injury absence of Quinn Hughes, who remains day to day and also Pullman and Dermott Vancouver's blue line on Saturday against the Sabres featured OEL Myers, Burroughs, Shen, Rathbone and Juleson. That is tough. To win with. Uh, so there were problems on the back end? Check. Were there penalty killing problems and power play problems, special teams issues? Check. Oh, oh, you better believe it. The Sabres had one power play early in the game. They scored on it, and it was one nothing Buffalo, and everyone was uncomfortable just a few minutes into the game. Was there bad puck management? Something we talked about. Yep. Buffalo's third goal. Probably the backbreaker if there was one. For the Vancouver Canucks, came off a sloppy turnover. Kyle Burrows had moved in off the point. Pod Colson and Kuzmenko were kind of risky with their passing. It turned over two-on-one the other way. 3-1 Buffalo. Did JT Miller, the $56 million man, I don't know, what is it $56 million? It's a lot of money. That is correct. Did he struggle? Yeah, he did. We're getting all the giveaways with this guy. All the high-risk plays with none of the offense. All the risk, none of the reward. No high. Luke Shen was not impressed, but that's none of our business. We'll get into that later. It was everything that was wrong with the Canucks so far, again, except for the blown lead, so that was good. Uh, All on display, and this time it was in front of the home fans. Mm-hmm. And the fan reaction was something else. We're talking, you know, it's a home opener. Saturday night, national TV, there was booing, there was jerseys on the ice. The Canucks have five more home games over the next couple of weeks, starting tonight against a very good team from Carolina. Yeah, you've summed it all up quite adequately without going too far astray into any one problem. This is about as bad as you can start a season. And you would have said that prior to Saturday night. The road trip in and of itself was terrible. They had set records for blowing leads. They're in the history books now. 
And then they came back home and had just the most lifeless, listless effort in a game which going into the third period was still up for grabs. If you don't believe me, go ahead and listen to the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. I feel awful for Bruce Boudreaux right now. I think he is looking at a team and is, one, very cognizant that the Boudreaux bump is long dead. Rest in peace, Boudreaux bump. That's gone. I think he's wondering if he's going to be able to reach this group. And we'll get to this later as well. I think he's probably wondering what the guys above him, the guys who either handed out his contract or didn't, which we're still not clear on, think of his job security. But I want this is the very first thing that Boudreaux had to say after the 5-1 loss to Buffalo on Saturday. Wasn't much of a prompt, just kind of asked what he thought of the game. And I don't want to say he didn't pull any punches because he's always a pretty honest guy. This is about as direct and as accurate as you can get. But the way that his team played here is the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, following a 5-1 loss in the home opener on Saturday to Buffalo. Well, my thoughts are what everybody else is thinking, too. I mean, I just don't, I don't get how a team that hasn't won a game and uh, you have a really good second period and aren't excited about coming out in the third and doing the same thing as you did in the second and just look like there was very little effort. I'm seeing it and you're seeing it. Very little effort. What was uh, more six, six games into the season? What was more compelling to you on Saturday night? Was it the actual game, or was it the aftermath that came with all the post-game interviews, including that audio from Bruce Boudreaux? But perhaps more specifically, Jim Rutherford probably regretting being booked onto after hours. So I'll tell you how Scott Oak and Cheech. I'll tell you how it went down for me on a personal level. I'm sitting there watching the game, working on my groove. And about the time that it got to four, one, when they scored the empty netter and the Jersey came onto the ice, the first of jerseys. And, (laughs) and I'm thinking about this and then they have a promo running on the broadcast about after hours. Yeah. And they said, uh, well, Jim Rutherford's, they, they kind of made it, you know, like, hey, yeah, yeah. he's got to come on. Jim Rutherford and Luke Shen. Now, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wait a minute. This is the same broadcast who at the end of the second intermission caught an altercation between Shen and JT Miller as they were skating off the ice. For those that are unaware of this. Miller made sort of a, a lazy backhanded pass in his own zone. No. That really? All, yeah. That That's all, unusual. That might have been costly if not for the fact that time ran out on the clock. But as they were skating off the ice, Luke Shen very clearly and demonstratively said something to Miller. Mm-hmm. Miller took exception to it. And they, you know when you can tell that two guys are getting a little too close to one another right. when they're talking? It's like that feels unnormally and uncomfortably was it, close. Was it Connor Garland? The Connor guy Garland. Them? The he was like, "Hey guys, did you know we're on national TV and you're doing this right out in the open? Did you see that I scored?" <laughs> so Garland <laughs> skates in between them. They go off. So anyway, fast forward to where I'm at the game. It's four-one Buffalo. Jerseys are on the ice. Fans are booing. They're playing. Who I don't know who played Sweet Caroline in a sing-along in the arena. Like read the room, read the room. There's no Sweet Caroline. They do it anyway. Boos are raining down, cascading down. And then I realized that on the, on the post-game show, they are going to have the president of Hockey Ops of the worst team in hockey completely 
dis like they're 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 a completely dysfunctional mess. Yeah, and they're gonna have Neil Diamond singing Sweet Caroline to him. And then all the players <laughs> Luke Shen, who just got in a yelling match with the guy they just signed to a seven year extension. I'm like, this is beautiful. So at that point, my intrigue monitor was like off the charts, right? I'm like, this is gonna be terrific. Mm. I had to go old school, like where I, I used to transcribe everything when we had our old blogging jobs. I got my old, like, transcriber. I got my thumbs ready. Yeah. I was doing stretches, calisthenics. Mm-hmm. I had the remote ready for pausing live TV. I was like, I am going to transcribe every single word that Jim Rutherford says in this interview because this is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. It did not disappoint. I, I, I mean, I love that Rutherford is very forthright and direct, but I also love the fact that that came at a time where... <laughs> He didn't have a ton of good answers as to why everything was going on. Can we run through some of the audio clips? Please can, do. Can, can Please you help do. us? Can you help us run through them? Because you were the one watching this live, and I, and I wanted to know your reaction when he said the things he said, considering all that had happened leading up to that point. So, like, good on Cheech and Scott Oak because they didn't start with, well, you know, you and Cheech played junior together for the Junior Marlies or whatever the hell and they were Cheech called. Cheech would yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hot dogs. <laughs> yes. Ketchup. <laughs> anyway, um, they they went right, and they they, play, they read some uh, questions from the audience and the listeners as, as well, right? So it was they had, they had an interactive feedback thing. So all the very pressing questions got asked, and then Rutherford, again, did not pull any punches. So it begins where the Canucks season began, where he starts talking about um, how the team had a bad training camp, and then the first of many references to either bad habits or lack of structure. It came up about, I don't know, six times. On After Hours, this is how it started. Rutherford talking about maybe the coach. It was the coach. Uh, poor training camp and bad habits. Here we go. We didn't have a very good camp, and uh, it's carried over into the season. We've uh, we are, have a lot of bad habits, and I I thought the last two road games we were starting to cut down on those and starting to trend in the right way. But when you're losing, you you find ways to lose and uh, and that's what we're doing. So when he calls out bad habits and mm-hmm. a poor training camp, he's not necessarily talking about the coaching staff and the head coach Bruce Boudreaux, but it's just gotten to be a habit right now that you assume that he's probably including everyone including the players and the coaching staff in that because he's talked about bad habits and a lack of structure and, you know, habits can be on ice habits. They can be off ice habits. They can be practice habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm sorry, but you know, that's part of a, co- a head coach's responsibility. So if he's not calling out the head coach as part of that, and we'll get to this later, Bruce Boudreau, um, the well, opinions of, of, of Jim Rutherford on Bruce Boudreaux. Well, we can do it right now. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a good segue. Because um, this whole dynamic between the management and uh, head coach Bruce Boudreaux is just, it's been bizarre from the moment that we realized last season that Bruce Boudreaux might not be back as head coach. Now, a reminder how this all played out last season. And somehow I actually played a role in this from a media standpoint. Um, It was late in the season and Bruce mania or whatever you want to call it. Bruce, there it is, was still very much alive and well. Oh, yeah. 
And I got a text from a source that said, I don't know if Boudreaux is going to be back. And I was like, what? And said, I don't, and, and the source said, I don't think the management likes him. I don't think the management likes the way he operates. Um, and it w- went on. And I went, I, really? Okay. So I texted Frege because I was like, hey, someone with some uh, connections <laughs> more than I do, who's also a colleague, sort of. Uh, are you hearing this? And he was surprised by this. Mm-hmm. So he started asking some questions around, and he got the same answers, right? He was like, believe it or not, the Canucks may not bring back Bruce Boudreau. Mm-hmm. And when it came out and we started reporting it, people, some people, not everyone, but some people were like, classic Vancouver media, you guys are digging for a story that isn't there. Stirring the pot. Right? And listen, I'm not trying to say like, oh, poor me, whatever. I expected it, right? People loved the head coach. They didn't want to hear that maybe this new management group wasn't on side with Bruce Boudreaux. Mm-hmm. But can you tell me right now, can you tell me right now, the people that might have said, I don't believe what you're saying last season, can you tell me right now that Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, uh, the management group, is in love with Bruce Boudreaux? I don't think you can after the audio we're going to play. No. I mean, look, this was maybe the most shocking thing of the entire After Hours interview. was not unprompted because he did get asked the question about extending Boudreaux. But when he got asked about extending Boudreaux, Jim Rutherford very promptly jumped into a very long, very detailed explanation that, no, that wasn't necessarily the case. I'm going to play the audio unedited in full for you right now, dear listeners. You tell me what you think of this answer. This is Jim Rutherford talking about the contract situation and the future of head coach Bruce Boudreaux. First of all, I, I think it's uh, it's laid out a little bit the wrong way. He He came here. Um, and it was my understanding that he was going to get a contract for just last year. He got a contract really for two years, and and so he's he still got his contract. It, it wasn't about that we extended him one year; it was that we just lived by the contract he had. And uh, I, you know, as I look at it now, it was the right thing to do. He's he's got to work through this with his team, and. Uh, at the appropriate time, we'll talk to him to, about what his future is. Is that a vote of confidence? That would, that a, that's, not a vote, that's not a vote of confidence. That's not. Mike, we have to talk after this show about what your future is. Uh, yeah, please. Does that sound, uh, does that sound good? Uh, 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 if you talk to one of my 18 bosses, they'll tell you I have a two-year contract. He's with us for two years? I thought I was only one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Go to HR. I got it on file. Trust me. So there's been lots of reported about the details of the contract that Bruce Boudreaux signed. Um, there was an option for Bruce Boudreaux. He could say, I don't want to come back because maybe I've got another opportunity elsewhere. But there was also an option for the Canucks, but I think it was more complicated than just an option. It definitely sounds like it was more complicated. Like, I, I think there was, um, they might have had to pay Bruce Boudreaux out a little bit. Maybe not the full year salary, but something. So there would have been a cost to not bring Bruce Boudreaux back. And then, of course... They would have had to hire a new coach, perhaps a more expensive coach, mm. um, to take over from Bruce Boudreaux. So they would be paying probably Travis Green still and also Bruce Boudreaux a little bit yeah. to walk away and then a new coach, which all leads to the question, 
Was Jim Rutherford essentially not allowed to fire Bruce Boudreaux from a budget perspective? Got to ask the question. You really do. When he said that I thought that Bruce Boudreaux only had a one-year deal, my I don't think my mouth was agape, but I definitely went with my eyebrows like, hmm, what? Because we all know how Bruce Boudreaux was hired. It was not by Jim Rutherford. Right. It was not even Patrick Alvin. He wasn't even with the organization at that point. It was the owner of the Vancouver Canucks who, not wrongly, realized he had to do something about the team. So he reached out to Bruce Boudreaux and brought him aboard. And at the same time, was talking to Jim Rutherford about taking over as president of hockey ops or some sort of role with the Canucks. But Jim Rutherford was not ready to confirm that he was going to take that job. So the owner said, listen, I got to do something. So are you okay with Bruce Boudreaux coming on as head coach? And Jim Rutherford went, yeah. Because he was like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right? And what Jim Rutherford said you know, later on was he was like, Bruce Boudreaux was the right coach for this team at that point. And what he meant by that was the Canucks needed some positivity. They yep. needed someone to come in, give them a hug, tell them that they're good hockey players. And he said that he was the right, he was the right coach for them at that point. He had no problem with Bruce Boudreaux taking over last season. Mm-hmm. This is all accurate. What's becoming rather clear, although we don't have a hundred percent confirmation, Jim Rutherford hasn't come out and outright said this, was that Bruce Boudreaux would probably not have been Jim Rutherford's first choice to, you know, keep being the coach. Remember that scene in Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams is hugging Matt Damon and he's saying, It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And Matt Damon kind of breaks down and he, you know, he kind of comes to the realization that he's got to make some changes in his life. That moment crystallized was last season, and Boudreaux was Robin Williams, and the Canucks were Matt Damon. Yeah. Matt, they, they needed a hug. They yeah. needed that hug. They it's need, not your fault. I mean, needed, it is, but... It was, tra- it was Travis's fault. <laughs> it was Travis's yeah, fault. Right? Or Jim's. One of the two. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Not the guys you. that aren't here. You anymore. guys are still here. The Canucks were a secret genius janitor working at a university in Boston. And then the Canucks had to go. <laughs> this is the they, analogy. They had to them. get in the car, <laughs> Quiet, you. and they had to go find their girlfriend. <laughs> Who's Ben Affleck in this? Wait, where were we? <laughs> Who's Ben Affleck in this situation? Uh, Patrick Alvin? Okay. I don't, I'm not sure. Anyway, point being, there was a moment in time where they really needed that, but then Matt Damon went off and did his own thing, and, yeah. and then it, it just ended. The relationship ended. And I think that was what happened, and I think Rutherford knew it. Mm. I think Rutherford knew that at that point in time, it was great. Just you know, throw an arm around the guys, tell them they're good, get them back on track, get their confidence up, and then Go. But they couldn't do that. Very clearly. So here, I'm going to backtrack. to. I'm watching this interview play out, and I'm like, okay. So far, the president of Hockey Ops, after a 5-1 loss in the home opener where people threw jerseys on the ice and booed, he came out and said that the team has bad habits. He came out and really, really confused and muddied the waters about the situation with his head coach. At that point, I'm like, this is good quality television. My mouth is hanging agape, much like Jason's here. He wasn't done there, folks. Jim Rutherford was not done there. Because just six weeks after signing JT Miller to a multi-year, multi-million dollar extension and going out in free agency and making a bunch of additions up front and with his head coach saying that not making the playoffs would be a disaster. In the wake of all that, Jim Rutherford went out and said that 
this team might be <laughs> on the verge of a rebuild. But is- but that rebuilds take a long time, and then people need to realize that. And then people in Vancouver freaked out because they were like, uh, is it longer than like a decade? Because We could have been through two rebuilds by now. <laughs> we could have been through two rebuilds right now. And, and you know what? It would have cost a lot less money. Let's go to the audio. Let's hear Jim Rutherford talking about uh, the rebuild, why they haven't necessarily committed to one, and transitioning on the fly. I think people have to realize uh, how long rebuilds are. And you you look at some of the teams that went through it, and we look at them now, how good they are, but there were, were a lot of tough years. I mean, we, we may very well be in a rebuild in the direction we're going, uh, but... Ideally, we'd like to transition this team on the on the fly. We do have some core players, some young players that are really good, and uh, we just these guys just have to keep working and try to work through this at this point. But we will continue to try to add younger players to this team and bring it together here within the next year. So a lot to unpack from the weekend, and we've only talked about the Vancouver Canucks. We will talk a little NFL, BC Lions on the Halford and Bruff show. Uh, we do have some tickets to give away uh, if you want them for tonight's game against the Carolina Hurricanes. We'll talk to Don Waddell too, the president and general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. But this next segment is open. Text into the Dunbar Lumber text line if you want to have your voice heard. 650-650 is the number so much to unpack on the other side of the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Told them to look in the mirror. And, uh, uh, you know, usually if, if we're not successful in the game, I don't come in. But I went in yet today and, and said that, you know, is totally unacceptable as a professional athlete. And that they, you just, yeah, you know, instead of looking at the other guy, look at yourself. 6.32 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, that voice you heard coming back from break, that was Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau talking about his team who once again are back in action tonight. Note the start time, 7.30 at Rogers Arena. We are giving away not one, but two pairs of tickets to this game tonight, folks. That's right. Do you and a friend want to experience what maybe happened on Saturday? Maybe it'll be better. Hey, Mike, uh, Kirk, the unemployed cracker factory worker, has a question about the ticket giveaway. Yeah. And Kirk asks, uh, will the free Canucks tickets include a jersey to throw on the ice? No, no. No, no, that, no. That, you got to bring your own jersey. <laughs> That's your own. <laughs> I still, you know what? Again, as a public service address to everyone, don't throw stuff on the ice. Don't do it. Just don't. I don't need to explain why. I don't need to go into greater detail. If you have something in your possession, don't throw it where someone is doing their work. Anyway, if you want to get uh, not one, but two pairs of tickets today, they're up for grabs. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. We will give them to the two best what we learn submissions because it is Monday, and that means we're doing what we learned from the last 72 hours in sports. 
Now, here's the kicker. They have to include the ticket emoji in your text. No emoji, no ticky. Got it? Emoji, tickets. Ticket, emoji. So we asked for your texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and boy, did we get a bunch. Some of them were what we learned that we can read later. Uh, This is an unsigned one. Guys, I was at the game on Saturday. Sorry. As well as the infamous game against Pittsburgh last season, right before Travis Green was fired. Saturday's game was far more toxic and frustrating. Crowd booed the entire third period, but what really got me was JT Miller. He doesn't move in his own zone at all. His feet are still, and I'm having flashback to Louis' contract all over again, make it stop. I'm sorry, I can't make it stop. Yeah, JT Miller. I mean, it was this, it was the same old, same old. He's a winger and, now, by the way. Yeah, the we'll we'll talk about the the Canucks practice lines in just a bit, but he has been bumped to the wing for tonight's game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, here's another text from Curtis and Vernon. Guys, I'm not sure I want to rebuild at this point. But Rutherford saying Vancouver fans don't understand how long a rebuild takes shows he doesn't understand this fan base yet. This fan base has been waiting the better part of a decade for a winning team, and they've been crying for a rebuild along the way. This is not Carolina. Uh, I think that was a very good point. And I think Jim Rutherford, while he might have like a cursory um, understanding of the frustration of the fan base. He's made some comments in the past that makes me wonder if he truly understands it. Because he's made the comment of, you know, this team has missed the playoffs for a few years in a row, mm-hmm. and we're, we're going to try and solve that. Yeah, we're frustrated that there hasn't been playoffs, mm-hmm. for sure. But that's more of a result. That's more of a, a symptom of the underlying problem in that this fan base – at least a large segment of this fan base, I won't speak for everyone, but a large segment of the fan base is frustrated with how this team has gone about retooling, rebuilding, whatever you want to say, uh, this roster in the post-2011 era. This goes back to, let's just say it goes back to Tort saying the roster is stale and it's not 2011 anymore and we got to move on. Well, Torts was fired soon after that. Willie Desjardins replaced him as head coach. Mike Gillis was fired as general manager. Jim Benning and Trevor Linden took over. And the Canucks said they weren't going to tear it down. And Trevor Linden had the famous line about, I can't go into the the dressing room with the Sedins and Mm -hmm. say, you know, we're going to tear it down. And then that first season under Willie Desjardins, they made the playoffs. And they were kind of like, see, I told you. Like, it would have been easy to tear this thing down, but it wasn't the right thing to do. Well, in hindsight, it probably was the right thing to do, to tear it down and just don't try so hard to fight the natural cycle of a hockey team in the NHL with a hard cap. But that's exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. And, Halford, I was reminded of a conversation that you and I had with Jim Benning all the way back. In 2017. So much younger then. When we were writing for The Athletic. Oh, yeah. And we got a sit-down interview with Jim Benning at Rogers Arena. 
we went into his office there and had a long chat. And I, at that time, did not want to have the conversation with Jim Benning about the proper way to a rebuild because, remember, this was 2017. So Jim had already been on the job for three years. He had already been there. We had already had this vehement debate, you know, this crazy, like, passionate debate with the fan base, like, what's the right way to go about business here? Mm -hmm. Should it be a full teardown rebuild or should you try your best every season? And what really stuck out to me was his answer when I said, listen, like, why not just tear it down? He got very uncomfortable and he kind of shifted around a little bit. And he said, look, when you sit in this chair, you walk a fine line. You have paying customers that want to come to the games and be entertained. And part of being entertained is your team's competitive and they have a chance to win at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. I asked him about ownership. And I said, what are their expectations? And he said, as we're going through this rebuilding process, they want the team to put a good product on the ice to entertain our fans that pay money to come watch the games. That was five years ago. Mm -hmm. And now Jim Rutherford is being asked essentially the same questions, and he's shifting around in his seat uncomfortably and saying, well... You know, people have to realize how long rebuilds take. Um, I'll say this. I, I know where you're going with this, and I, I fully agree. I think the one commonality when we talked to Benning five years ago and when Jim Rutherford spoke on the weekend is I think both guys felt like uh, they couldn't necessarily do everything that they wanted to do due to influences beyond their control. Because I think, look, Rutherford going on after hours on Saturday – I think for him, it was an unfortunate series of events. I'm pretty sure he didn't anticipate that his team was going to get booed off the ice and lose 5-1 with jerseys thrown on the ice. He was clearly frustrated. Saying, we may be in a rebuild the way we're playing right now. It was, it was a throwaway line. Mm-hmm. Like, no one actually believes that after six games <laughs> that he's like, ah, crap, we got to rebuild this thing. Well, and he and it's also impossible. Trending towards a rebuild the, right, way, but, the way we're playing. But that was a that was more of a nod to how badly they're playing than an actual, we're going to change. I mean, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek right, comment, exactly. right? He was just like, well, the way we're playing, we might be trending towards a rebuild. But then he, he clarified, he said, our preference is still to retool this thing on the fly. But take a step back and look at the big picture, which we always try to do here on the Halford and Bruff Show. What was the common theme of almost everything that Jim Rutherford said in that interview? I inherited this situation with my head coach and Boudreau, and I didn't really have a lot of control over the contract. That's one. We tried to address the defense in the summer. Said it twice. We tried to address the defense, but we couldn't get it done. We tried. We failed. The lesson, never try. Right. Just don't try. And then there was the issue with we want to retool still. So there feels like there's a lot of things that Rutherford either wants to do or would like to do, but there's a multitude of circumstances that have prevented him from doing that. Now, what are those circumstances? I'll let you listeners infer. You're probably smart enough to put some things together that while you may be the president of hockey ops, you're not the king of the castle. Well, and the thing with the defense is it, it has to do more with the market and they they tried to do things, but the market wouldn't allow them to fix the defense. But that's befuddling to me because at the very least, is it it's hard to fix the defense, man. 
That's why the pro. That's I'm not why you're talking draft about. Guys. I'm not why. I'm not talking about fixing the defense. I'm talking about addressing it in any singular fashion. I, just one move right. on defense. One, just like, one. Like maybe trading away a guy like JT Miller, or saying this money that we're going to give to Ilya Mikhaev, maybe we could put that towards a guy that can play on our blue line. Just as simple as that. Maybe, maybe they are Jason. There, there weren't many people out there. There was someone. <laughs> there well, was someone. Riley, yeah, Riley Stillman's a someone. See, that's what I'm saying. Now get another one of those. They uh, they are so bad on the blue line right now, and that cannot be understated. That game against Buffalo was painful to watch at times because if we're just getting back to the on ice product, they had honestly the most effective and sort of spark igniting guy was Jack Rathbone mm-hmm. on that blue line. And well, he had because pl- Quinn Hughes was hurt. So <laughs> how many teams that have aspirations of being a playoff caliber squad can say, well, everything goes to hell when we lose one defense. Okay. All I'm saying is I'm not putting this blue line on Rutherford. I think it takes a long time. I'm to not fix putting it. the blue line on Rutherford. Okay. I'm just saying it's bad. It's a bad situation. Yeah, right and Demko's now. not stealing them games right no, now. Either. No, okay, like no. that mask well, okay, for sure. Yeah. Hold on. Let's let's focus on one thing. And the at forwards aren't very good. Well, the forwards aren't aren't very good. It was once again bad puck management by the Canucks forwards, Kuzmenko and Pod Colson that led to that third goal. That wasn't on the defense, although Kyle Burrows might might not have pinched in if we're looking back. Um here's a question that I've got. Is a rebuild inevitable? At this point, and here's why. I wonder if it might be foisted upon them by Elias Pettersson refusing to sign long-term. We can only trust what he said in the past. And when he was asked if he'd be willing to sign with the Canucks long-term, and remember they signed him to a bridge contract, so he's only under their control for a couple more years. He said, yeah, I'll sign with them long-term if they're a winning team. Well, they're not a winning team right now. If you were Elias Pettersson, would you be open to a long-term contract extension with this organization right now? I'd be concerned about signing on because I don't think anyone there can give you a very accurate can give you a very accurate roadmap on where this is going to go because they could be in line for what you're talking about. Potentially tearing it down and rebuilding the whole thing. No, but that him refusing to sign long term would be them would be him forcing that situation on the Canucks, whether they liked it or not. He is easily their most valuable commodity. Well, him and Quinn Hughes, I and guess. And Nils Amon, apparently. <laughs> Nils Amon. Um back to the blue line. You know, I'm not I'm not as critical on this current management group for failing to address the blue line as others might. I'm critical about a lot of things. I'm critical about the way they've dealt with the head coach, but I digress back to the blue line. The Canucks tried and failed to fix the blue line last summer. Why should we believe they can do it in the next year or two? It's not exactly a great UFA class. I took a look at it last night. It's like John Klingberg, who's, he might be the best. You know, Shane Gostisbehere, uh, those are guys approaching the 30s now. There is a risk of overpayment. The Canucks cannot afford any more anchor contracts. Can they afford to trade a first-round pick to address the blue line? I don't think so. They traded a second to clear up their cap situation. I don't think they can do that. 
I don't think they can afford that. So how are they going to fix it? Like people say, well, fix the blue line, fix the blue line. It's not easy, guys. Like we've seen the lengths teams will go to to fix a problematic blue line. The Oilers traded Taylor Hall mm-hmm. for a stay-at-home right-shot defender. One for one. That was the trade. Mm-hmm. The Colorado Avalanche traded some pretty good players. Guys like Matt Duchesne. Do the Canucks have anything right now that's worth what Matt Duchesne was worth at that point? I don't know if they do. Like JT Miller, with this contract attached to him, is not going to fetch much of a return. Bo Horvat's a rental at this point. Maybe you get a top four defenseman for Bo Horvat. Maybe. And then you're talking about first round draft picks. That's it. Like what, you know, Rutherford has sat there and said like the probably the most likely way we're going to address the defense is through a trade. Mm-hmm. And How? Said, so, but the bigger picture here, again, like I understand that we have a difference of opinion on the defense and mostly I'm just throwing out the do something retort to Rutherford because I mean, it's kind of comical, right? But in all seriousness, obviously you're right. You probably tr- He said specifically we tried to address the defense in the summertime. It didn't work out. The bigger picture thing is I see a guy that is slowly growing more and more frustrated, and it's only six games into the season, with what he's seeing playing out in real time, and I feel as though he has been boxed in by a number of things. The defense, it's very difficult to try and upgrade your defense. It's very difficult to try and fix it. He was in a market where it was tough. His head coach clearly, clearly inherited that situation and wasn't allowed to make the moves that he wanted to make out of it. I mean, that much to me seems pretty obvious right now. So you got a blue line you can't fix. You got a head coach you didn't necessarily choose. And you're looking and you're saying, what can I do to get my way out of this? Because remember, at the end of the day, Rutherford's a guy that when things aren't going well, he's the shakeup guy. He's Trader Jim. He's the one that fi- not necessarily figures it out, but is a man of action. He's a bias for action. And right now, he looks like a guy that has made a career out of making moves, and now he's in a situation where he can't make one. Yeah, That's the impression that I get. And he doesn't want to make a panic move. Well, At this yeah. point, I'd be like, you know what? Make a panic move. Do it. Just <laughs> Do panic. It. Just make a bad move because yeah. I want to see something. Uh, the group got a shakeup in terms of their line combinations yesterday at practice. JT Miller was finally bumped to the wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Defensively, not good enough. Just, I I mean, I'm, I'm the same way when I watch him in his own end. I, I'm like, are you, you got to move sometimes. Like, I, I realize that, you know, you're, you're in the center of the ice and you're protecting that position, but you got to be a little more active than you are. Uh, he's bumped, bumped to the wing on Horvat's line with Mikheyev. So you got Mikheyev, who might be their best two-way winger, with Horvat, uh, who often gets the defensive assignments and is considered a responsible player with Miller. Mm -hmm. So a couple babysitters defensively for JT Miller. Uh, This was also interesting to me in that Bruce Boudreaux broke up a trio that I thought was playing pretty well, even if they weren't finishing their chances. Um, Kuzmenko, Pedersen, and Podkolzin is no longer, or at least it wasn't at practice yesterday. Hoaglander replaced Kuzmenko, so it's Hoaglander, Pedersen, and Podkolzin. So Petey and Podkolzin are still together. 
but Kuzmenko is now on the third line with third-line center Nils Oman. That didn't take long. Third-line center Nils Oman. Nils Oman, who most people, including Nils Oman, expected <laughs> to start the season in Abbotsford and probably stay there and maybe never make the NHL. But he's in the NHL right now, and Bruce Boudreau, what do you call him, the second-best player he right said, now? He said next to Petey, Oman's been our, our second-best player. Nils Oman, the Canucks' second-best player, is now centering a line between Kuzmenko and Connor Garland. The fourth line, Tanner Pearson, he's down there now with Curtis Lazar in the middle and Dakota Joshua on the right wing. Where's Brock Besser? Maintenance day, Yep, according to head coach Bruce Boudreau. Brock Besser has kind of skated under the radar once again this season um, for his poor start. Uh, last season, we were also focused on Elias Pettersson, and they were, and then we were kind of like, oh, and also Brock isn't playing that well. That was the Boudreaux bump was supposed to be Petey and Brock. Yeah, get him on, get him on track. And we all know how Brock Besser had like a very, very tough season personally last year. He had a very tough year, so we gave him a break, right? And you know, I, I still wonder how he's feeling, but he's not playing well right now. He's not a productive hockey player right now, and now he's got a maintenance day, so. Mm. We know what maintenance days mean in Vancouver land. That means you could miss some games. So we'll see if Brock Besser will be available for tonight's game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Quinn Hughes also missed practice yesterday, so he's considered day-to-day with an undisclosed injury. Seems doubtful that he's going to play tonight, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, it's, it's a dire situation right now. And I'm not just saying that to drum up emotions on a dreary Monday. We're not doing it for clicks or for listeners. We pretty much know what we've got and what we don't have in that regard. Like, there is no way that you can describe this as anything other. Well, you can use different adjectives if you want, but it's a catastrophe. It's a disaster. It's a nightmare. It is. I don't think the season could have started any worse. Can you have a worse home opener? No. No, you could have got. I guess they could have got shut out, right? They could. Yeah. It could have been, been five some injuries. Could have been right. You know, there could have been could a mishap. Worse, there could have been a mishap of Finn. Mm-hmm. There could have been bad. Worse things could have technically happened. There could have well, been a again, fire yeah. at some yeah, point. Yeah. Well, no, I, a fire. I, I actually the jersey wanted, could have spontaneously caught on fire on the ice after it was thrown. I did want to clarify that we're six games into the season and nobody on the Canucks has caught fire during the game. This you know what? Like Positives. that's good. Right? Think positively, and yeah. you say this isn't the house of positivity. Mm-hmm. We're finding silver linings left and right. No spontaneous combustions, humans or otherwise. We come back no. tomorrow. I can't believe it, but somebody caught fire. <laughs> somebody Oh, on the bench. Did you see that? Man, it was Petey, too. Like, Travis geez. Dermott, day-to-day, fire. <laughs> Caught on fire. Yeah, he's day-to-day. Um, but it's, seriously, that home opener could not have gone worse. This is quintessential Vancouver right now. If you want to ever get a feeling of what it what it's like, you know, the summers, it's so nice, and people come here on vacation, and they're like, this is such a great city. Why is everyone so depressed? I'm like, wait till October. Team's not good. Rain. It hits, but we fight through. I mean, that's what we do. We mm-hmm. y- You show up as, as fans. You have to have this weird, morbid curiosity that you want to see what happens next, right? I think that's it because it would be really easy to disengage and just say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to spend any more time, money, or effort following this thing. I mean, think about if you – Money, fine. Think about <laughs> – 
but think don't about spend, it. You don't need to spend any money, but time and effort. Let's say prior to the season, you went out and you're like, I'm going to go to the home opener. I'm going to buy tickets to the first game of the season at home. I'm going to watch my team. They're going to put the big production video out there. They're going to introduce all the guys. Home opener is always yeah. fun, right? Saturday night. I'm going to spend some cash. going to go downtown. It's going to be vibrant. Elton John, a.k.a. John, is playing next door. There's going to be a good vibe downtown. You leave to a cacophony of booze throughout the third period. People are throwing stuff on the ice. Yeah. Like, it's bad. There's no other way around it. Even the most eternal optimist can't text right now to 650-650 and tell me that uh, I'm being hyperbolic or too demonstrative or whatever. Like, it's bad, bad. Canucks are down bad. Is that what the kids call it? Down bad? Well, Bo, Bo Horvat yesterday at practice was saying, like, and he was being kind of sarcastic, but not really. He was like, it feels right now that we're never going to win a game. Right. That's that's exactly what imagine, it feels like. Imagine you're six games into the season and your captain is saying that. Like because, you know, yeah. you haven't won a game yet. Yeah. It's, and your captain is saying, it feels right now like we're never going to win a game. Like, there right now, belief is a major issue with this Canucks team. Yes. And you can talk about the blue line being an issue. And the blue line is very much an issue. And you can talk about JT Miller's struggles. And JT Miller's struggles are very much an issue. But this team does not believe in itself right now. And it's really hard to go play a game like that. A game of hockey, you have to give a 100% effort. And you have to believe in what you're doing. You have to believe in your teammates. You have to believe that you're good enough to win a game. Especially in the NHL, man. Like against the best athletes in the world. And this team is so clearly struggling with its confidence. That third goal, I know I pointed it out a few times, that Buffalo scored off more puck management issues from the Canucks, killed the Canucks. Like, And don't forget they had just gotten a break because a, a Buffalo goal had been disallowed. And then Buffalo comes right back and scores an actual goal. And for the rest of the period, the fans were booing. The effort wasn't there. The Canucks, according to their head coach, gave up. They gave up. They didn't have the effort at the end. And they lost a game that they were trailing 2-1 going into the third period in the home opener on a season where they hadn't won any games yet. They lost it 5-1. This is a team with more issues than just personnel, like, oh, the blue line doesn't look very good. This is a team with personnel issues, Star player issues like JT Miller forgetting how to play hockey and a team that psychologically as a group does not believe in itself. Now you want to know a team that's likable and plucky and doing the business despite all odds? The Seattle Seahawks. First place in the NFC West after a big win in Los Angeles over the Chargers yesterday. Coming up on the other side, we're going to go House of Positivity, talk some NFL, talk some Seahawks with Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders. We're here until 9 o'clock. There's plenty of hockey talk to come, but the Seahawks and the NFL story, it's coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.